After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 33, stanzas 1 and 6. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, where does your faith come from? Well, my parents, a catechism student, once told me that was a nice answer. But the student knew that if it weren't for her parents, she wouldn't have faith. From the cradle, her parents instructed her about who God is and how we are related to him and to each other. They had told her Bible stories and taught her how to pray. They had taken her to church and had her attend catechism classes and a Christian school. They had taught her to love God in numerous ways. And so it was the parents who gave her faith, right? Well, that's not what the catechism says, is it? No, it says in answer 65 that our faith comes by the Holy Spirit. That is also what we read in the Bible on which the catechism is based. It says in John 3, verse 10 and 11, that God has revealed it to us by his Spirit, and that no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so faith is a gift of God especially from God, the Holy Spirit. It does not come from people. It may seem that way, but it's not true. Faith comes from God. But then the question is, where then do the parents come in and all the others in your life, the minister, the teacher, the Christian friends? They all play a role, don't they? Yes, as we will see, they do. But ultimately, faith comes from the Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit do that? What is the role of people? That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. I want to preach to you about the way the Holy Spirit creates and strengthens faith. First, we look at the proclamation. Secondly, the strengthening. And finally, the assurance. So then first, then the proclamation. How did the Ethiopian eunuch the one we just read about, come to faith, for he had difficulty with the Bible. There are certain things he just didn't understand. No doubt we all have that problem at times. When we read our Bible at our supper table, as is the Reformed custom, we frequently come across passages or statements that leave us somewhat baffled. We know what we believe, but there are certain things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Why is that? Does God not make things clear enough for us? Are the scriptures too difficult to grasp? Well, according to what we confess in Article 5 of the Belgian Confession, what God wants from us is clear enough. For it says that even the blind are able to perceive the things, that the things foretold in them are being fulfilled. And yet, 
there are difficulties. Why is that? Well, that's because of our limitations. We're sinful human beings. We're not God. We're limited in our understanding. And so we need to be instructed. And that's the case with the Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch. This man was not a stupid man. On the contrary, no doubt he will have had a good education, for he was an important official in the government of his country. He was in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. In other words, he was the minister of finance of that country. You don't get a position like that unless you have a good education. And this man, in some way, had become a proselyte, that is, a convert to Judaism. There were many proselytes during and after the exile. How did that happen? Well, when the Jews were exiled, they were scattered all over the inhabited world of that day. They went to Babylon and Egypt and to other surrounding countries, And so in exile, they had contact with all kinds of people whom they introduced to the Jewish faith. And no doubt this also happened to the Ethiopian eunuch, and that is how he had come to know about God, the God of the Jews. He had become a believer. And it is for that reason that this eunuch went to Jerusalem to worship. But there were still many things that he did not quite understand, especially the way that the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He hadn't been told about him. That was clear from from what he was reading on his way back to Ethiopia. He was reading a part from the book of Isaiah. It was the custom in those days to read out loud. And he came to a difficult passage that needed explanation. And now the Holy Spirit had directed Philip to that Ethiopian. He spoke directly to Philip to go to the chariot in which the Ethiopian was riding and to stay close by. Apparently the chariot was going slow enough for him to be able to run along. When Philip heard him read that passage from Isaiah, he asked the Ethiopian if he understood what he was reading. And he said that he did not quite understand. He needed someone to explain it to him, which is what Philip did. The Ethiopian had been reading from Isaiah 53, and he wanted to know to whom this passage applied. And Philip explained to him that this passage applies to the Lord Jesus, and that it has been fulfilled in him that he is the one who was led like a lamb to slaughter, and that he was the one who was humiliated and deprived of justice, and that he was the one whose life was taken from the earth. And he further explained to him that this all happened for the forgiveness of our sins. And he showed him how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that all the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law had their fulfillment in him, that they all pointed to the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed one. He also will have told him about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. 
And it is then that the Ethiopian began to put it all together and to understand. Lord God used Philip to explain this to him and to create faith in him. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, how wonderful that will have been for this Ethiopian when these scriptures were opened in that way? What joy to understand that God is fulfilling his word in the way that he did and that the Messiah, the Christ, finally had come and that the Old Testament had been fulfilled in him. Now, no doubt the Holy Spirit could have explained that to him without Philip. God ultimately does not need man. But that is how he has chosen to make his message of salvation known through the proclamation of the gospel. And that's what the catechism speaks about when it says that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts by the preaching, the preaching of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Well, sure, it is not so that it is impossible to come to faith by reading the Bible on your own. Many people have come to know God that way. But they still need other believers to point out the enormous riches that is contained in God's word. We all need understanding in scripture, don't we? I know I do. It's a constant need. There are so many jewels within the scriptures that we haven't uncovered yet. And even if we have at one time understood what it meant, we need to be reminded time and again of the greatness of God's word. Only God can save you. Only God can save this world. There is nothing more precious than God and his word. And because of our sinfulness, we need to have our eyes opened. Sin blinds us. We need people guided by the Holy Spirit to help us and to open our eyes. And that's one of the main reasons why we go to church every Sunday, twice even, to hear God's word being explained, which is especially the task of a minister of the word who has been ordained for that task. But that doesn't mean that only he can explain God's word. No. We're all equipped to do that. You too. The Lord also gives you a role. And he wants you to take that role seriously. Fathers have to do that, especially in their households, their homes, and mothers too. And this is what we need to do with each other as well. And that is why you need to go to Bible society and to read books and magazines that apply God's word in a faithful way to help you and me understand God's will for us in the world in which we live. And to understand how God's word has been interpreted throughout the ages. How people through the ages have understood God's word. So that we can also learn from that and build on that. But for ministers and all believers alike, the Bible must also be alive. 
not just a book full of doctrines and stories. It's much more than that. If you want to know God and his word, and if you want to teach it to others, you must also be full of the Holy Spirit. You must be full of joy because of your salvation through Jesus Christ. You must understand what a great joy it is that God speaks to you in the scriptures. And that through his word, you are made a new creature. It's obvious that Philip was full of the Holy Spirit. And once the Ethiopian heard the explanation, he too was full of joy about what God has done. Let me ask you, are you excited and full of joy because of what God tells you in his word? Most of you have heard it all your life. You go to church as you should. You go to catechism class. What does it mean for you? It's so easy to take it for granted. Are you excited that in the midst of this world full of turmoil and sin and calamities and rebellion that God gives you the gospel of peace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, includes you. The only hope and the only comfort that you may have is that God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, speaks to you. But, and that brings us to the second point, the proclamation of the word is not just something that is done once. No, that has to be done repeatedly. Our faith needs to be strengthened. The devil always tries to take us away from the truth of God's word. He wants to sow doubts in us. He wants us to make, he wants to make us bitter and angry people. He wants to gnaw away at our resolve to live holy lives. He wants to take away our certainty. He also wants you and me to question the authority of God's word. He wants to take away our joy and our enthusiasm for the gospel. And it is for that reason that we need to be regularly under the preaching. Time and again we need to be confronted with the joy of God's word. The devil works every day very hard to try to make you about what God wants from you and from me. For that reason, the Lord God does not just use the preaching to strengthen us in our faith. He also uses the sacraments. When the Ethiopian eunuch came to faith, he wanted to be baptized right away. And so as they continued to travel along the road, and they came to some water. The Ethiopian says to Philip, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, as a proselyte, he will already have been baptized. For the Jews knew all about that ritual. A Gentile was considered to be unclean. And when he becomes a Jewish convert, he needs to be ritually cleansed before he would be allowed to enter the temple courts. And so baptism was used for that purpose. A foreigner would not be allowed in the temple unless he was baptized, unless he had gone through that washing ritual. But now this Ethiopian foreigner wants to be baptized again. But this time 
into the Christian faith. He wants to be assured of the cleansing from his sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as symbolized through the water of baptism. Philip joyfully obliges him. This important dignitary gets out of his chariot and walks into the water and Philip pushes his head under the water and then brings him up again. The water of the baptism signifies to him that he is saved through the blood of Jesus Christ who died for him. Christ went under the water, so to speak, but he rose again. It's very powerful symbolism. Why do you think that this eunuch wanted to be baptized? Well, this man, he had to go back to his country, to Ethiopia, and he was going to be surrounded by heathens who would question his faith. They would attack him. And so would his own flesh, that is, his own sinful nature. And he knew how prone he is to stumble, and he wanted to have that enduring signal of the forgiveness of sins as a means to strengthen him in his faith, as a reminder of what Christ has done for him. And he needed that symbol in order for him to be able to speak to others about the great hope that is within him. Do you rejoice in the baptism that you have received? Think about what it means. The washing away of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater in this whole world. And we need to be reminded of that time and again. Brothers and sisters, and that includes all of you, boys and girls, young and old, middle-aged, single or married, the same thing is true for you and for me. The Lord God instituted the, the sacrament in order to strengthen our faith, to remind us that our sins are forgiven to remind us of our salvation and of the great hope that we have, not just for today, but into eternity. And that's why God also instituted the Lord's Supper. Also reminds us of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Reminds us of the basic message of the gospel, which is, all, which is contained in all of God's word. These sacraments are given to us to underline the basic message of the gospel. What is that basic message? Answer 66 beautifully summarizes that. It says, God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross you will never find a more beautiful sentence than that one. It is a gracious gift. A gift of grace. In other words, it is given to us without any merit of our own. We did not have to do anything, not even to lift a finger to obtain that great gift. And it is that message that needs to be emphasized. And that's what the sacraments do. 
But you know, the Heidelberg Catechism was written at the time of the Reformation to teach the people on the basis of the Bible what the sacraments were all about. For according to the doctrine of the church at that time, the sacraments functioned like some spiritual injection of God's grace. The church thought that the sacraments were needed to save you. In this way, the sacrament became more important than the preaching itself. They were deemed to be so important that the church even came to seven sacraments. The Bible only speaks about two sacraments. But let's stick close to home. I don't think we're persuaded to go back to that teaching again. Nevertheless, there's also the tendency amongst us to consider the sacraments a little bit more important than the preaching. On a Sunday when we have the Lord's Supper, then the church is usually much fuller than on other Sundays. Many people would not think of missing the Lord's Supper Sunday. And when there's a baptism, then we want as many of our friends and our relatives to be there as well. And some will even delay the sacrament for that reason. But what are the sacraments for? They are for the strengthening of the faith of the congregation to which they belong and to make the promises to the parents who have to bring up that child. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul even expresses thankfulness for the, for the fact that he, only baptized, that he only baptized a few people. Let me read that. He says there, I did not baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So again, Paul emphasizes the preaching. Of course, baptism is important. It's very important. But not more important than the preaching. And that's why he says that he came to Corinth to preach. And he did not want the baptism to be tied to a specific preacher either. But the bond is not with the minister. The bond is with the Lord God. It doesn't depend on man, but it depends on God. That's what needs to have the emphasis. We read in answer 66 that sacraments are visible signs and seals. Visible. And so everybody should be able to see them being, being administered. And for that reason, baptism is done in a church service where everybody can see it. And so the baptismal font has to be situated so that everybody in church is able to see what is happening. It is for the strengthening of the faith of the whole congregation in which God has placed us. And God proclaims the promise upon this child that he will forgive his or her sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful moment. And it's good to have friends and relatives there, of course. But it is nevertheless nothing more than the accentuation of the preaching. We shouldn't make it more than it is. The preaching always comes first. And that's why we also have the pulpit in the center. Not the baptismal font or the Lord's Supper table. They are secondary to the preaching. And they stand on the side. 
But the same thing applies to the Lord's Supper. Another circle is known as the Mass or the Eucharist. The Lord's Supper is also a visible sign and seal. And that's why the minister also visibly breaks the bread and visibly pours the wine. And the people have to be able to see the minister do that. And therefore, when the minister does that, you should also be looking at what he's doing. For the Lord God does not want us only to be assured of our salvation through the hearing, but also through the seeing. It's visible. So that we can be reminded. The Bible also teaches us that the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper are seals. What's a seal? Well, a seal is a guarantee. It assures authenticity. It guarantees that our sins have been paid for. That's our final point. A seal works like a stamp. Everybody here at one time or another will have gone to a hockey game or to a football game or to some trade show or other where you have to pay your entrance fee in order to be able to go into the arena. After you pay, they sometimes give you a stamp on your hand. That stamp is placed there to indicate that you have paid the entrance fee. You can go in and out of the building without having to pay again. Well, that's also how the seal of baptism works. It guarantees that your sins have been paid for. Of course, you also have to accept that. And you also have to show that you do accept that throughout your whole life. For if you don't, then you will not be able to claim that payment either. Then the promises of the gospel don't apply to you. And that's the same thing with a stamp. If you act as if the stamp on your hand doesn't apply to you, and you go to the bathroom and wash it off, then you won't be able to enter the arena again. They won't let you in. Where's the proof of payment? In that sense, baptism also serves as a guarantee of payment. But it's also more than that. It also offers proof of who made that payment. It guarantees that God has done that through Jesus Christ. And if you take that seal seriously, then you don't play loose and fast with God's promises. What exactly is a seal? Well, during biblical times, seals were attached to documents. Hot wax would be poured on the document, and the signet ring would be pressed into it to show who wrote that document and on whose authority the action promised in the document would be implemented. The Ethiopian eunuch needed not only that visible reminder, but he also needed that guarantee. And that guarantee was tied up with Jesus Christ. That means that he, had believe, that he had to believe in his existence, that he walked here on this earth, and that he suffered, and that he died, and that he rose again, and that he is now seated at the right hand of God. Without that knowledge, that seal wouldn't mean anything. Please keep in mind that this was not totally new to him. For the Old Testament spoke of the Messiah, of Christ. It wasn't as if this Ethiopian was new to the faith. It wasn't as if the one moment he is told about Christ 
and the next moment he is baptized. No, he already knew the Old Testament. He was already a believer in God. But he had to understand how now the Old Testament applies in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Philip's proclamation opened his eyes. He now understood what he was, who he was talking about. He understood he was talking about the long-awaited Messiah as revealed in the Old Testament. Oh, wonderful. But he could not receive that sacrament without instruction first. In order to be strengthened in your faith through the sacrament, you have to have that kind of knowledge. At least that's how it goes with adults. Of course, with children, that's different. That's what the next Lord's Day deals with. They receive the sign and the seal at the time of their baptism, and they are still a baby. For God comes to the children of believers first with his promise and and guarantee, and children must be brought up to know these things. And that's the task of the parents and of the church and of the teachers. It is our task to instruct one another. As children grow up, they must be reminded of God's relationship with them. They must be reminded of God's promises and demands. Parents and teachers and ministers and elders are only instruments in God's hand. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who creates faith in us. When a young man or woman publicly professes their faith, they only acknowledge what God has already done in their hearts by means of the parents and others. It is then that they publicly proclaim that they believe in God and in his promises. But God also gives us a role in our faith. Brothers and sisters, how wonderful for the Ethiopian eunuch that he could have the assurance of his salvation through the preaching of Philip and through the administration of the sacrament. How that will sustain him and he goes back to his regular life in Ethiopia. And how wonderful it is for you and for me that we may have the preaching of God's word and that we may have that preaching accentuated by the sacraments. And how great it is that we may have people used by God as instruments in his hands to bring us to faith and to strengthen our faith. People who explain the gospel to us and who live the gospel out in their own lives as an example to others. Because it's not just talking and instructing. It is also living the gospel. That's what parents must do. That's what ministers must do. That's what the elders must do. You have to live it out. That faith has to show in your life. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. And so, be thankful for your godly parents. Be thankful for your godly teachers. We thank you for your godly minister and for your godly elders. But above all, be thankful to God. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace alone. Amen.